John 12, 17 through 28. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the Passover feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this very purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came down from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The word of the Lord. Well, March Madness is upon us. Kind of exciting stuff. Anybody fill out a bracket for March Madness? Is anyone March Mad? I see a couple people going on. I see some people going March Madness. I don't have a clue what that is. That is the NCAA tournament. You should have quit work. You should not be cooking. You should be ordering hot wings and being in front of your TV for this wonderful spectacle. I try to fill out a bracket every now and then. I've actually filled out a bracket uh, here in front of you. I'm not going to show it for you because it's so good. Uh, I think the odds of winning the bracket are like one in quadrillion. And it's usually won by a secretary somewhere that just filled it out at random. So I have a neat strategy that I have taken to fill out my bracket. It's kind of a little bit of a contrarian strategy. What I took was the worst seed and I had them win. Okay, so the 16th seed, for instance, North Carolina A&T beats Louisville. And my, you have people like Duke uh, losing to Albany. It could happen. It could definitely happen. We have Southern beating Gonzaga. I don't even know where Southern is, but they're going to beat Gonzaga. In fact, my final four, I have Southern beating Western Kentucky to win the NCAA tournament. Isn't that exciting? Did anyone else put that in? No. No. Absolutely not. I'm sure they did. In fact, I haven't watched one game. I'm assuming my bracket has already been busted. Is that true? Have any of these 16 seeds gone down? Now, this is silly, isn't it? Nobody fills out a bracket this way. Why? Because everybody loves a winner. And we all know that the small guy, the 16th seed, is not going to make it past the first or second round. No, we choose the number one seed, the number two seed. We may throw one in there just for fun, but at the end of the day, we know how it always works out in the end. One of the powerhouses wins. You know, the reason we do that, have you ever experienced the bandwagon effect? When all of a sudden the teams get better and better, oh yeah, that's my team, that's my team. Because everybody loves a winner. It's been said that victory has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. This whole story in the Bible, this one that I just read is about victory, and it's about defeat. It's about winning and losing. It's about a king who triumphs by dying, and one who rules through suffering.
But it's also about a crowd who understands that victory comes to the strong. That those who overthrow their enemies and comes, that is the one who is victorious. The story is about Jesus. The story is about the Jews. The story is even about some Greeks. But the story, in the end, is about us. It's a story of us and what we believe is greatness and victory. It's us learning that we become great by serving. Us who are able to find our life by hating it. And us who are to serve a king who is crucified and risen. The question that I have for you today as I go through these different characters, because you are one of them, is this, who will you be? Because you will find the path to life only when you give your life away to Christ. The path to life is the path that he took from death to life. What I'm going to do during the next two hours is we're going to take a look at these various people, the Jews, the Greeks, and then Jesus, and see their response to how they dealt with Jesus and what we can learn from them. First, let's look at this group, uh, the Jews. Now, if you look at the beginning in verse 17, the excuse me, in the beginning, the excitement is building. The Passover feast, when everybody's streaming into Jerusalem, and all of the talk is about this person, Jesus, who is coming. In fact, there are this group of people who have seen Jesus perform a miracle in the chapter before. He has raised this man, Lazarus, from the dead. Literally from the tomb, three days later, he's called him out. And all these people saw this. And they heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. And as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, the word of him is spreading like wildfire. Here he comes. This one is the resurrection and the life. And they think of Ezekiel. If you remember the valley of dry bones? Can these bones live? And here is the spirit who moves along. And he puts this people together and he raises them to life. And they are a vast army. See, the Israelites, who have been under the thumb of the Romans for a hundred years, under their oppression, are excited because it's time for payback. We've got ourselves a secret weapon. Because whoever can raise the dead, whoever can keep an army that can never be killed, is invincible. He's immortal. And so they know the time has come. And so what do they say? Hosanna to him who comes. This word Hosanna is very interesting. The original translation, if you look at Psalm 118, it literally means save, please. Save, please. And it's dealing with the condition of a person. They're mourning over their sin. But as the Jews have been under the thumb of the Romans, the translation of Hosanna has changed. Not to save, please, but to salvation has come. Not dealing with me, but rather dealing with the situation around me. And so they start shouting, Hosanna. Salvation has come. The Savior has come. Soterios, which is what they literally called the Roman Emperor. Look at verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And then fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Here comes the King. And so what do they do to recognize the King? They bring out the palms, waving the palm branches. Now you may wonder, what, what's going on here? But the palm 
back in that time was a symbol of victory. When you went into the, uh, the temple of the goddess Victory, or the Greek goddess Nike, you would bring your palm fronds and you would bring your Air Jordans. And you would come and you would give to the goddess Nike. That is heresy, isn't it? the goddess Nike. But nevertheless, if, if a lawyer won a case, he would decorate his front door with palm fronds to indicate that he was victorious. Indeed, when a general would come back from battle, he would come, excuse me, I'm dying, I'm Zeno, thank you. He would come, and he would have, uh, wearing uh, the toga palmata, he would be wearing a garment of peace that was covered with, uh, with palms embroidered in it, to show that he was bringing peace. He had been victorious. And he wouldn't come on a war stallion, he'd come on a donkey, to indicate that he was bringing peace. He was victorious. And so they're indicating, they're giving him this title. Here is the one who comes. The one who's victor, conqueror. Indeed, they take their very cloaks and spread them on the ground to give him homage and praise. Now in this time, this would have been outright sedition. Okay, the Romans had a habit of crucifying people who went against their rule. How they kept rule was by literally crushing any sort of oppression. But here are these people, this crowd dancing in the street, saying Hosanna. And why? Because their struggle was over. Here came their king, the invincible weapon to free them. And lo and behold, Jesus comes and he disappoints them. Because as they're cheering for him, shouting Hosanna, he sees Jerusalem and he weeps over it. If you only knew Jerusalem, who was coming to you today? You who killed the prophets. And he weeps over them. And then he comes into the city. And instead of going to, uh, to the emperor, going to Pilate, instead he goes to the temple. And he goes crazy in the temple. He starts throwing people out of the temple and saying, How dare you turn my father's house into a store? And he goes after these people and everyone's looking around at him going, what is going on? This isn't the king we were looking for. We were waving our branch for another king, not this king. And so the people become disillusioned, and they become angry that Jesus is not meeting their expectations. Indeed, this very crowd who was waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna, five days later, will be shouting crucify him, crucify him, all because this king didn't meet their expectations. We deal all the time with things that don't meet our expectations, don't we? We get upset at them. I think of a car that I got probably about six years ago. I don't have it anymore. It was the car of my dreams, okay? It was a Toyota 4Runner. It was an SUV. So if I needed to climb a mountain or be part of ice road truckers, I could do it, okay? Because I had the big wheels and it was a V8 and, you know, I just wanted to put on my flannel shirt and head to the mountains with my SUV. First car I ever had had leather seats, too. Man, they felt great. And so I have my forearm I'm out, I'm driving around. Probably had it for about two days. When all of a sudden I hear this boom! And I'm on the highway, and my car starts smoking. And I pull off to the side, and I open my door, and I literally see oil spilling out along the side. It had thrown a rod, this big V8 engine. And there I am sitting on the side of the road with my dream car, 
and I get upset. I paid all this money. I'm going to do ice road trucking. What is going on here? It didn't meet my expectations, and I became frustrated. Kind of silly to compare a car to somebody like Jesus, but isn't it at the end of the day the same thing? Those people were using Jesus as a tool, and often we do the same thing. I want Jesus because I want to have a better marriage. I want Jesus because if I worship Him, if I put Him at the top of the ladder, I'll live a good life. I'll prosper. All of my life will begin to fall into place. I'll look better. I'll have better health. I'll be healed from sickness. Jesus, I know, yes, I love you, but it's a trade-off. I'll give you your glory, and you give me what I want. And so we celebrate Him. When times are good, we wave the palm branch. But when things become hard, and Jesus clears out the temple, we become angry and upset. This wasn't the Jesus that we wanted. This is the Jesus that we didn't want. See, we've moved from saved, please, to salvation has come. Jesus, to be sure, has come into Jerusalem and He's come here. But He's come to save us from our enemies and our enemies are not those out there. Our enemies are right here. I have met the enemy and it's me. It's the selfishness in my heart. It's the anger I have toward my brother. It's my sinful attitude toward God. Jesus comes as king and says, I want to give you peace in your heart. I want to overthrow your enemies. I want to set you right. But he goes even further. He comes to conquer the enemy that we all face, death, which I hear at last is 100% fatal the last time I checked. Jesus has come for so much more than simply these simple things in life. Not that He doesn't care about them. But if we're going to understand Jesus in the triumphal entry, we must put Him in His proper place. Not as a tool, but rather as a Savior. And we must put our hopes in a proper place. Not in a Jesus who does what we want, but a Jesus who does what we need. Who frees not our hands from necessarily this world and our hearts to be pure as snow when they are dirty. To make life the way it is supposed to. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all ways and He will make your path straight. The Jews made a fundamental mistake and they became angry. And we must not make it as well for we will not truly see Jesus. Because to take the path of life means to give your life away. Well, let's take a look at our second group, the Greeks. The, the Jews we see where they're coming from, but what about the Greeks? We see these Greeks who come up and they said, we would see Jesus. I think that is in verse uh, 20. Now, a little bit about these Greeks. Okay, Greeks mean outsiders. They aren't necessarily Greek. But they weren't Jews. And there were basically two types of people in the world of the Hebrews. Those who were Jews and those who were not. The Jews were the chosen people, people that God called His own people. And so these outsiders were coming to worship at the feast, meaning they were God worshipers. They wanted to be involved, but there was always the sense of being outside. In the temple, they could only go this far, and then they couldn't go further. But they come, and they come to Andrew, excuse me, they come to Philip, and they said, we would like to 
see Jesus. Not just see him, but we would like to talk to him. Now the first question is, why did they go and they ask Philip? You know, you have all sorts of crazy people going and talking to Jesus, but they go and ask Philip. Well, the first thing is, Philip was from Bethsaida. And Philip has one of the only Greek names of all the disciples. Interestingly enough, the other one that had a Greek name was Andrew. Philip and Andrew. See, they're wondering if we can even gain access to this one called Jesus. So we're going to use an intermediary. We're going to go to Philip. And Philip's like, I don't know. So he doesn't go to Jesus. He goes to Andrew. Andrew, what do you think? I don't know. So they both go to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, these, these people, they want to see you. What do you think? And Jesus responds. He says... The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the disciples go, huh? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. We want a yes or no. Do you want to see the Greeks or not see the Greeks? But Jesus gives a different answer. Jesus continues. Well, they begin to actually, before he continues, as the disciples think Philip and Andrew, they began to put the pieces together. Because here we see that Jesus says the hour has come for, Je for Jesus to be glorified. These words, the hour, appear through John. For instance, in John 7.30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 8, excuse me, <coughs> John 8.20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. See, the hour for Jesus is the hour of his arrest. The hour of him being handed over. So Jesus is responding, now is the time for the Son of Man to be handed over, to be glorified. And in this case, glorified means very different than what the Jews thought. Glorification means death. Jesus continues, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, unless this wheat falls to the ground, it remains alone. Gee, uh, Jews, Greeks, you cannot know me. Because I am here and you are there. I am alone. But if I fall to the earth, if I die, indeed it says falls into the earth, it will bear much fruit. See, Jesus is talking about what he's about to undergo. That yes, you can see me, but only as you see me as the resurrected Christ. For my job is to bear fruit. My job is to give you a new identity. My job is not only for you to see me, but to birth you into a new life. He continues, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, what he's really asking, what he's really answering the Greeks is this. How far do you want to go to see me? How far are you willing to step out to see who I truly am? If whoever hates his life will gain it. But whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever serves me will follow me, and there with me they will be. 
See, Jesus is saying that what I'm looking for you, I'm more than a mere curiosity. I am the Savior, and I've come to die, to make you come alive. And if you follow me in the path that I have for you, you will be with me. But only as my servant. Only as one who's willing to give up everything in this life. It doesn't mean to hate your life. It doesn't mean to hate your family, hate your job, hate that. It means to hate it so much compared to the richness of knowing Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is giving an answer to the Greeks, and he's giving an answer to us. The big decision, how far are you willing to go to know this one, Jesus Christ? He who hates his life will find it. I remember a story, I don't know if you remember it. It's the name of a guy, Arlen Williams. Some of you may remember Air Florida Flight, uh, flight 90, January 1982. I remember it well because I was 10 years old. It was a plane that took off from National Airport in an icy storm. And due to pilot error, they didn't de-ice the wings. This plane came down and it hit the 14th Street Bridge and it went into the water, which was icy, covered with ice. There were 79 occupants on this plane. Only six made it even into the water. One of them was Arlen Williams. <laughs> And there was nobody, people were on the bridge, I can remember it like it was yesterday watching it on TV, because my father sometimes took this bridge into work. And everyone's watching helplessly because they can't get to these six people who are basically drowning. They're trying to stay afloat. They're holding on to the tail of the a plane, which is the only thing above the water. Well, needless to say, finally the, a helicopter appears and starts lowering ropes to try to get these people out. Well, Arlen Williams was one who got the road, and he was one who passed it. And up went one person, and down came the road again. And Arlen Williams passed it again. And Arlen Williams indeed continued to pass the road until all five of the other people were saved. But when they went back for Arlen Williams, he was no longer there. The tail had gone under, and he had sank with it. The Washington Post put it this way, excuse me, the Times, uh, Time Magazine put it this way. So the man in the water, Arlen Williams, had his own natural powers. He could not make ice storms or freeze the water until it froze the blood. But he could hand life over to a stranger, and that is a power of nature too. The man in the water pitted himself against an implacable and personal enemy. He fought it with charity, and he held it to a standoff. He was the best that we can do. Arlen Williams is a picture of a man who is willing to give up his life that others would live. You know, but Arlen Williams was in the water not because of his own doing, simply because the plane went down. Arlen Williams was a hero, but it's quite another thing to jump into the water when you don't have to be there. See, as brave and heroic as Arlen Williams' uh, act was, it's nowhere near that of Jesus Christ. The one who's literally making the triumphal entry to the cross. See, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says to Lazarus, come out from the dead. And he says to us, come from your sin, from the death penalty, from the curse you have. Come to me and find life. 
You know, like the Jews, we may be looking for a certain Savior. But like the Greeks, we may be curious. But a little bit afraid to get too close. Maybe we'll go through somebody else. Maybe a preacher. Maybe we'll get religious. And we'll show up in the pulpit. We don't want to get too close to this one called Jesus. Because he asks too much. He's the one that says, if you give your life to me, you will save it. See, the words that we must say is, Hosanna, save, please. Only after we say that can we say that salvation has come. So the question is, do you want to get close to this one Jesus? The beauty of those pictures, the uh, picture of the water with these people were not too proud. They were hurting enough to take the rope from someone who had the strength to give it. See, at the end of the day, they said, I want to live. They reached out to this one, and they were saved. Some of us ask the question, I, I know this, I've sat in my uh, chair, I've been in church for 20 years, and yet I don't know if it's true for me. It's just a tail of an airplane, but it's all I got, I'm going to hold on to it. How can I have the courage and the strength to reach out, to hope that I won't sink, He won't let me go? The reason we can do that is simply this. John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, meaning this costs. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this very purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. See, Jesus, this wasn't a simple thing. The cross hurt for him, who was God, but man as well. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Save me, Father? Hosanna? No, for this very reason I've come into the world. See, Christ's love for you and for me was greater than his fear. His obedience was greater than his pain. The water was cold, but he was not afraid to jump in. The seed that went into the earth. And because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, he emerges again. And he bears fruit. A group of people that reach out and say, yes, save me. Who have new life to be with him for eternity. And so we must take confidence in Christ. Because he never flinched. He'll never let you go. The glory that Jesus Christ had was that he rescued you. He wears the palm branches of victory because he has conquered the enemy, sin, and death. And so, I don't know where you're at with life. Maybe you're looking at the wreckage of your life and you're saying, this Savior isn't for me. I've done too many things wrong. He won't reach out. He won't rescue me. Don't look at your life. Look at him. The words save me are for people that need saving. Don't look at the water. Look at Jesus. Reach your hand out. If you're a Christian, you may feel right now like you're drowning. You're drowning. Where are you? You know, you can drown in two feet of water. Three feet of water if you never put your feet down. Jesus is the one who goes under us and says, I will lift you up. You must put your feet on the rock. Whatever is going on, Christ has the ability to meet you there and give you victory, either from your circumstances or through your circumstances. 
If you're not a Christian, what are you holding on to? You know, money sinks. Last time I checked in the Relationships come and go. My health is a gift for every day. My reputation may be gone tomorrow. But at the end of the day, it's a choice. Who will I choose? This life or the one who is the life giver? The only way, my friends, that you will find the path to life is when you give your life to Christ. If you want to know Him, it's going to cost you everything. But if you give everything, you will experience a life that you never thought you could. One with the life giver, Jesus Christ. All the way, all the time, unto eternity. The Jews didn't get it. The Greeks might have gotten it. I hope we get it. It's the triumphant entry to get us that we might have a dream. Let's pray. Hosanna, save me. Lord, you have the ability to jump into the water of death, to give up your life that I might have life. And yet you are the seed that brings life, that you sprout forth a harvest that is with you, a new humanity, a new church. Lord, we want to see you lifted up. We don't want to use you as a tool. We don't want to stay outside the distance, going through other people. But we want to know you as you are. So as best as we can, Lord, we choose to give our life to you, to serve you, that we may be in your presence, and that we may have rejoiced that we found the life giver. Indeed, we have been saved. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.